Hello and welcome, and thank you for joining. I'm your Seth, Seth Hat. <laughs> I'm your Seth. <laughs> Let's uh, try that again. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining. I'm your host, Seth Haskin. I started this podcast to dive deeper into the ways we know one another and God. The goal is to ask the question of why God loves. I invite people from many walks of life to join me on this adventure. As we dive deeper into personifying God, we have to bring him into our three-dimensional world, but also understand that he, also, he lives in another state of being, the fourth dimension. I would love to welcome and thank our guest today. He is a French professor at Bethel University. He has his bachelor's in French from Bethel College and his master's in French from Middlebury College and University de Paris. X? Is it just pronounced X? X. X. Ah. X is, it's dis. It's the Roman numeral. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. Yep. Um, he and his wife are also involved with St. Paul's Intercultural Institute, a study abroad program for Chinese and Japanese students. He has a unique humor that is sure to make you crack a smile, if not laugh. He has a love for teaching students and diving into culture. Please welcome and thank our guest, Mark Norlander. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I've been uh, teaching uh, French for uh, over 40 years at the secondary and post-secondary levels and uh, live, have lived uh, in Minnesota ever since I came here to attend Bethel when I was 18. Uh, and uh, my wife and I live in Brooklyn Park and... Uh, All right. <laughs> Guess that will sum it up here. So let's get right into it. So my first question is to you, as a professor of French, what do you exactly do on a day-to-day -day basis? What does a day in the life look like? Well, it, right now it looks a little bit different than it did for most of my life because mm -hmm. I'm semi-retired, so okay. I'm just teaching part-time. So the the amount of time that I have to prepare for class is more flexible and... and uh, uh, but uh, when I was working full-time, a typical day would be uh, involved with uh, time spent preparing for class and then time spent in class, um, as well as uh, doing uh, training and, and whatever other obligations the institution I was working for uh, put on us. All right. So what are the best parts about teaching French and the maybe more comedical or not so great parts? Um, for me, the, the part that I enjoy the most is, is the students and the contact with young people and uh, watching them uh, as they make that transition from adolescence to adulthood. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and as far as teaching itself goes, I, I enjoy it. For me, it's, uh, it's something where um, it's, a, it's an outlet for creativity. It's a way for me to find ways to try to be creative in, in, in how I teach so that it's effective and I can uh, get across to the students what I'm trying to get across. Perfect. So why did you choose French as a language uh, compared to other languages? Uh, it was uh, uh, quite simply because my friend Wally told me that the uh, in 10th grade that the French teacher was pretty <laughs> and that was enough for me so I decided to take French and uh, the I discovered pretty quickly that learning a learning language was something that came quite naturally for me and it was something that I enjoyed and 
was able to quickly feel a sense of accomplishment with, for, and so that's, uh, I have no, no French ancestry or anything like that. It was just a, a simple a teenager choice. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned that you work with the foreign exchange program here in St. Paul. Um, what do you do exactly for that program? So my wife and I uh, started this program. Actually, we worked with a professor who's now retired uh, from Bethel, Paul Reisner, who taught philosophy for uh, mm -hmm. many, many years. And uh, he is uh, an MK who grew up in Japan. And uh, he was asked by a professor from Rikyo University in Tokyo to start up this program, and he asked my wife and I to help him with that. And <clears throat> after a couple of years, he decided he wanted to just uh, focus more on his teaching, and, and so he gave the reins over to us, and we've been doing it for the past 26, 27 years, something like that. We've worked with um, six different universities in Japan mm -hmm. and China, and um, the students, it's a short-term academic slash homestay program. So the students come here for uh, three and a half weeks, um, and they stay with the host family. And the um, during the day, we set up programming for them, uh, lectures from Bethel profs and other people mm -hmm. uh, about various topics that are pertinent to life in the United States. And we have field trips in the afternoon. And um, we've had uh, over 2,000 students come through the program and since we've been doing it. That's really cool. Yeah, it's really a, uh, something that's really uh, enjoyable for us, something we didn't expect um, to have thrown in our laps because my wife is also a French teacher. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so when this happened, we thought, Japan, Japanese, what, what does this have to do with mm -hmm. us? And that was the beginning of my understanding that <coughs> um, God could use what I had learned about French language and culture in indirect ways mm -hmm. to benefit others. And so it's been a real blessing in our lives. Yeah, I remember uh, last year, no, two years ago, before COVID, um, the that you had that we had gotten this email or whatever about French, uh, not French students, uh, Japanese and Chinese students coming on campus, and that they could stay with us for like a night or something here on campus. So I remember that. So I didn't know that was you until this year. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm taking your French class, hence why I know you. Um, and I've really enjoyed it. Uh, something you did was introduce us to French interns from France, which is very unique, I think, to the French teaching that you provide at Bethel. Um, why do you think it's important to introduce us to people from France while learning? Um, well, just for the obvious reasons that, you know, to actually be able to, to have personal contact with and get to know uh, some native French speakers um, is just an invaluable experience. And um, it's especially um, good in the helpful, I think, in the situation we're in where uh, 
Bethel doesn't have a, any longer have a French minor or major. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the majority of the students in the class are taking it so they can get their STAG credits. Mm -hmm. And um, then they find out that, well, there's something more here. There's something interesting. And so, so that's what's been helped. That's what I see. I see is the benefits of having you, you and the other students connect with these French students. Yeah, it's been really fun too yeah, because yeah. we had the one introduction, and then it's just kind of taken off from there. So yeah, it's really great how it's worked out this year, and uh, so yeah, very pleased with that. All right, so we're gonna start diving deeper into relationship questions. How okay. exciting! So my first one um, for you is what comes to mind when you hear the word relationship and how does that interpret your daily interactions with others? Um, well, to me, the uh, my basic understanding of a relationship is, is that it's simply knowing another person or getting to know another person. And, you know, that can be something as simple as uh, and basic as someone that you know as an acquaintance. Mm -hmm or at a much deeper level as in a, a close friendship or a marriage relationship. Okay. Yeah. Pretty basic. Yeah. I like mm -hmm. simple. Yeah. So um, can you describe some relationships you have? It could be anyone. Um, why are those relationships to important to you? And do you categorize different relationships? I know you just said acquaintanceships compared to like close mm -hmm. friends. So I'm guessing you do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, um, I, I, my personality is that I'm an introvert, and so I tend to be someone who has um, a small number of close friends, mm -hmm. and uh, versus an extrovert, which would have a wide range of friends uh, and uh, a broader range of friends. But the relationships that I have for the, that are the most important to me are, you know, for obvious, obviously, my with my wife Sharon that I've been married to. And um, another example of a close friendship that I have is um, one that started actually here at Bethel when I was a student uh, playing on the tennis team. Uh, I became friends with uh, one of the other players. And, and since Bethel, he and I have played tennis once a week since Bethel. So over 40 years of playing tennis together and it's a fun way to uh, not only stay in shape but also to maintain and grow a friendship mm -hmm. consistency is very important for any relationship yeah right so definitely agree there finding something that you can do weekly or daily or whatever the level of relationship is to right. keep that right going so what comes to mind when you envision a relationship with God um, the first thing that comes to mind to me, is the Trinity. That's okay. um, this is the ultimate relationship, uh, and this is one that we're beginning to be a part of as as children of God. All right. Anything specific about that um, in general, or just like that's how you envision like God? He's relational in Himself because He's three in one. So if he's relational, then we must be relational people because we're made in his image. Right. I think I think that our relationship with God is is our reason for being, um, and it's based on love, and uh, 
that that unity that we see in the Trinity is something that we can look forward to um, when we are united with God mm-hmm. in that same way. Yeah, it will be exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, do you think it's important to have a grasp on earthly relationships to understand our relationship with God? Or do you think it should be the other way around? Or do you think it's just intertwined in itself? Um, I would, I guess I would say that I would say yes, but maybe in so much as that our earthly relationships are imperfect. They're, mm-hmm. they're really just a glimpse of what our spiritual relationship with God is like and, and what it's becoming. Yeah. All right. So you're a language guy. At least I know you speak two languages quite well, English and French, but I know you have some others under your belt. So um, there is a psycholinguist by the name of Steven Pinker, and one of his quotes that I've heard recently is, language emerges from human minds interacting with each other. He has a great TED Talk about language, and that's where I heard the uh, quote originally, but I've done more research on him, and he's such a great read if you ever get a chance to read any of his books. Um, Very good, very good. Um, in this talk, he talks about many things, including relationships, which is where the quote originates. So my question to you, based on this quote, is why is language so relationally centered as the quote suggests? Well, I guess I would say that uh, we use language to describe and understand the world, including uh, relationships. And this would include our relationship with ourselves. You know, we have that inner voice that often uses language as we think and talk inside our minds all day long. And language is what distinguishes us from all other living animals. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, There's an author by the name of Jared Diamond who in his book, The Third Chimpanzee, he explains that human beings uh, share 98% of our genes with chimpanzees. And yet humans are far and away the the most dominant species uh, on earth. And he says that most of the 2%, that 2% difference is in, is the uh, larynx, larynx and that language is at the root of what is called in anthropology the great leap forward when humans suddenly began making accelerated advances. Mm-hmm. And even though uh, Jared Diamond is an atheist, when he considers why humans have this 2% difference, he admits he, he just doesn't know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's so interesting to think about how language really is one of the biggest differences amongst um, any species. Mm-hmm. And like being able to communicate in an effective way in relationship to ourselves with the environment or a relationship to anything else, including others, Mm -hmm. um, that groups tend to usually thrive more than individuals do, especially among social creatures. And I think it's so amazing that we're able to communicate and not just in one way, such Mm -hmm. as language. We have, you know, the second language, which is body language. I mean, we can read a lot from just looking at someone, the way they're standing, the way they're maybe closing themselves off from someone. You know, you can just get those subtle hints that we don't necessarily think about as language, but in the sense of this huge part of our lives is just so, I think, overlooked. And I think it's so important to just, like, take a moment and just think about language. And it doesn't even have to be English. Like, French, 
um, learning it has just been so fun um, because being able to understand um, another language helps you put yourself into their culture, into their way of possibly thinking, because like you said, we use our inner voices to like talk um, with ourselves, basically. And if we learn another language, we can see how others talk within themselves. And then if that's going to be displayed to how they talk with others, interact with others. So, right. So right. cool. Yeah. Um, how does this connection between language and relationship affect our day-to-day conversations with those which we have a relationship? Uh, to, it's, to me, that's just the simple fact that language is how we gain knowledge. And in a relationship, that means how we gain knowledge about another person. Mm-hmm. Um, without language, that would not be so easy to do. Yeah. I mean, we could gain a lot based on body language, but that's yeah. not a lot. No. Um, without, you know, language itself. Conversation. Conversation. Um, Since language is so relational, um, it is important to pay attention to what we say or how we say it. Um, What, like, can you give an example of how we say language can affect the way we are interacting with others? Okay. Well, the the most obvious example is is my my own inability to say things uh, correctly or put my foot in my mouth as a husband of my wife, Sharon, for the past 38 years. <laughs> um, so the answer to that is an emphatic yes. You know, I've learned the hard way more times than, than I can count. And um, what's difficult is that sometimes it's hard, at least for me, to hear and understand how I come across to others when I speak. You know, I know what's going on in my head. I mm-hmm. know what I'm thinking. When I put that into words, you know, how do others perceive and receive what I'm saying? Um, so something I say that to me might seem pretty innocuous, it may not at all be that way to the listener. Mm-hmm. And um, I think in French class, uh, there we're always saying things in the negative because of, um, the way French speakers use that as like a teasing manner. Um, and if we didn't know that um, as English speakers, when they were to come into our culture and say things in the negative way, I think it could affect the way we um, view that re- relationship. So definitely like the way you say something, because sarcasm isn't like universal in all languages. So some people might think English speakers are rude when we're sarcastic but in english culture sarcasm is used as a way of like making something um less awkward or more funny mm-hmm. but in other languages they'll be like oh my goodness you're rude mm-hmm. so definitely the way we say things i think is very important that's right so yeah. um we've established that language is important in thinking about relationships as they say communication is key There are, however, more languages than English, as we've been discussing, like French. um, And communication in different cultures influences the way relationships are built in said cultures. So my next question is, why is it important to pay attention to other cultures and other languages? Could you give an example? Yeah. Well, I mean, culture is a a big part of who we are. you know, it's, it's the environment that we live in. It's like the water we're swimming in, and it's what seems normal to us. 
Um, but what's normal in one culture may not at all be normal in another culture. Uh, there are some things that are blatant and obvious. For example, in Japanese culture, it's impolite to blow your nose in public, mm -hmm. but it's not impolite to sniff, whereas here it's the other way around, um, and in many other cultures as well. Um, those are some of the obvious things that are important to know, but there are hidden parts of culture that are often uh, different and these can often lead to conflict or, or misunderstandings. Uh, a simple example of this is um, if you were in a restaurant anywhere in France, when you finish eating, you can sit there and talk for as long as you want. No one will bother you, and you will not get your bill until you actually request it. Mm -hmm. And... Um, in the United States, for if an American traveling to France didn't know that, they might think, oh, this is horrible service here. We've been mm -hmm. sitting here for 20 minutes, obviously done eating. Where's our bill? Um, so, you know, that's a simple example, but, you know, there are others that can lead to even greater misunderstandings or conflict. Yeah, like you, I, I like to think of myself as a connoisseur of good food and, like, good things when it comes to food and drink. Mm. Um and I love, for my parents' 30th anniversary, we visited them, and we went to this nice, like, Italian-owned, like, upper-end restaurant. Um, and the environment was so different, but I loved it. Mm. I think I loved the way, like, in which, like you said, um, restaurants are ran in other countries where you have to ask for the bill. And then um, you just get to sit there and talk for as long as you want because their their way of thinking of the restaurant business is totally different than American thinking. Americans is like, let's get turnover um, and keep it a little bit cheaper so that we can get more people in for a cheaper price. Mm -hmm. Whereas in other countries such as like France or like um, Italy per se, it's more of um, we'll have more expensive items, better quality food, um, they can sit there as long as they want because as long as they sit there, they might be ordering more. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm more of the second person. Let mm -hmm. me sit there as long as I want because especially with your, when you're with other people, you just want to be there, eat with good food, and be in good relationships with other. Yeah, right. So yeah. it's so, I mean, I just love good food too. So <laughs> I'm biased towards French food and Italian food and other like quality foods. Are, are you saying you don't like it so much in the D.C.? Uh, the DC <laughs> has its days that are like, oh, this is actually good. And then there are days where I'm like, I'll, I'll just eat mm. a salad today. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. Um, in class, we've used the word ethnocentrism. You've had us think about this word on more than one occasion, especially in like quizzes and, um, exams and whatnot. Um, can you explain what this is and how it may affect the way we view relationships? with other cultures and languages. Sure. So as I was saying uh, a minute ago that, you know, cultures, it's the water that we're swimming in every day and it's what seems mm -hmm. right and normal to us. If, uh, if we're swimming in salt water, that's what we think is normal. Fresh water seems different or wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's what eth ethnocentrism, it's the belief that one's own culture is the correct or the best way of doing things and that other cultures are wrong or inferior. So 
you know, people would say, talk about people in Great Britain driving on the wrong side of the road mm -hmm. rather than saying they drive on the other side of the road. Yeah. So that's a judgmental statement to say, you know, why can't they do it the right way like we do and drive on the right side? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and with that language, the way we say it too, because mm -hmm. um, English is such a mix of a whole bunch of languages. And if you ever take French, you'll learn that French is a big influencer mm -hmm. in English as well as a Germanic, la uh, Germanic language uh, by the Anglo-Saxons, which became English itself. It used to be called English. Anyway, history lesson. Um, but um, in Latin, the word for correct is dexter, which is also the word for right. So it kind of bled over into the other languages. So when they say ambidextrous, they're saying two right hands. Um, and sinister, the word we use to describe something wrong or bad or anything like that, in Latin, it means left or left-handed. And so I think it's so interesting to think about the way words shape our thoughts mm -hmm. and what we name a word mm -hmm. and its connotation around it can also shape the way we think about, you know, a culture because our synonym for correct is right. Right. So we drive on the right side of the road. It's not only a direction, but it's also like a correctness. That's right. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Language is fun. Language <laughs> is very fun. It's so, I, I enjoy language a lot. So um, my next question based, um, based on um, what we've talked about so far is, do relationships shape our language or does language shape our relationships or both? Um, I, I guess I would say that it's the latter that, you know, I mean, language exists and, uh, you know, we use it to create and grow our relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then my next question tagged onto that is how can this be seen through both English speakers and French speakers, this connection between language and relationships? Um, I guess, you know, I, would, I wouldn't see it as being different mm -hmm. between English and French. Um, you know, when people are speaking their, their native language, they're using language in the same way, but in different environments, different cultures, but in a relationship, it's all the same. Yeah. Is there a way that French speakers talk about themselves in relation to others that you see may be different than English speakers? Like the way we say I or um, they, like those simple things like I broke the vase or they broke the vase or is there a difference between like connection to things? I, th I w you know, uh, there's going to be some, there are some linguistic differences, mm -hmm. uh, some grammatical differences, but in the end, the, the, what's communicated is the same. It doesn't matter whether you're speaking English or French. Okay. Yeah. Just a curiosity. Yeah. yeah. Um, what can we learn from various cultures and languages that will help us in general? Well, I think that uh, looking at other languages and cultures and meeting people for, uh, that speak those languages and are a part of those cultures you know, the, the first thing we notice when we meet someone is the differences. All right. So if you and I met for the first time, you know, we might, you might think, okay, he's older than me. He's younger than me. Uh, 
but the more we get to know each other, the more we find out that we have a lot in common. And that's the thing that, that's been so uh, enlightening and enjoyable for me throughout my life of putting people together from different cultures is, is mm-hmm. seeing that connection bring them closer together because they realize that as human beings, we have way more in common than we have that are differences. Mm-hmm. But until we get to that point where we realize that, we focus on the differences and that drives us apart. Yeah, I've definitely, you, you've definitely talked about that in French class, but um, with when it comes to various cultures, um, I'm so glad that I was exposed to a lot when I was younger um, because it has helped me like understand um, various ways of behavior in those cultures mm-hmm. and like the importance of it. Like, you know, instead of shaking your hand and looking someone directly in the eye, you know, in the Japanese culture, it's totally different business-wise, let's say, whereas, like, buying them a gift and, like, taking them out to a meal and not even talking business is a better way to carry out a business um, relationship Mm -hmm. than, um, you know, let's talk business and, like, close a deal. Right. Um, A Japanese uh, businessman might be more likely to do business with you if you you know, follow their cultural things. That's right. And to establish that relationship and that trust. Mm -hmm. And just like with bowing too, Mm -hmm. um, it becomes a trust thing. Um, Because when you bow, the whole idea is you're exposing the nape of your neck, which is a very vulnerable part um, of the human body. There's a lot of vulnerable parts, but that especially is very vulnerable part. And when you both do that, you're showing submission to one another. Mm -hmm and a respect to one another that you're not going to be like basically backstabbing them or trying to, right. you know, screw them over in some way. And mm-hmm. I think it's so important that we can learn these ideas and culture and not see them as different, but something that we can think about as like, okay, what are some things that we do in culture that are kind of the same? Like um, there are so many similarities amongst people that I think we get so distracted by differences. Mm-hmm. And That's I think right. uh, stereotypes and implicit biases um, influencing the way we think about cultures is a big problem. Um, so that's why we're having this talk. That's right. Um, how does language influence the way we think about God, not just like people, but our relationship with God? Um. You know, I mean, we, we, we use language to try to know God, to understand God better, but um, it, it has limitations because we're finite. And so it's our feeble attempt to define and describe and understand God. You know, he, God is infinite, language is not. And, um, but it's also one way that God has chosen to communicate with us. Mm-hmm. You know, John uh, describes Jesus as the word. And Jesus coming into the world as one of us meant that he used language, among other things, to communicate his love to us. Um, And later John helps us understand who the Father is by uh, quoting Jesus saying that if we've seen him, we've seen the Father. Jesus is the exact imprint of God. And this Jesus-looking God is in stark contrast to the God I grew up learning about which was the angry, wrathful God with Jesus standing mm-hmm. in between kind of as a referee, holding God back from uh, carrying out his anger and justice, judgment on us. Yeah. 
I think it's so important when we look at the Bible, like you said, when um, John was describing God as the Word. That's that's a theme throughout the entire Bible. Um, the Word became flesh, and like the importance that that culture had on lang- with language and describing God. They didn't like to give him a name. The um, uh, Jewish culture didn't like to give him a name because he, they they understood him as someone you can't like, you know, I don't know. I, it's just so powerful to think about that. And mm-hmm. like in the Bible, God never says, I'm God. He says, I am. And it's just like a state of being. And I remember in a previous podcast, um, um, one of our guests mentioned um, we are called human beings. You know, we are beings. Um, we get to be um as they said. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same thing idea with God. And since we're made in his image that it's so hard to just like sometimes verbalize things mm-hmm. in a way when we're talking about God and people and examples of that could be seen everywhere. Yep. So, yep. Yep. You're right. Um, my next question is, can understanding other languages and cultures help us understand God? I would say Absolutely. Um, we see, you know, God's loving creation in, in all people. Uh, the ultimate expression of God's self-sacrificial love was the, was the cross, and he, Jesus died for all people from every culture and language. And when we when we understand that, and we start to see other people through the lens of the cross, we see everyone as having unsurpassable worth. Mm-hmm. Changes our whole view uh, of other people. Um, you're driving in the car and the guy cuts you off instead <laughs> of getting angry and, you know, you, you think, okay, that was a dumb thing, but that's a person of unsurpassable worth and so my only thought can be of blessing to him or her. Mm-hmm. I love how you mentioned that story, just like a little um, example, because it reminds me of a word that was kind of created um, there's a guy out there who loves words and he created a YouTube channel and a website called the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. And it's a weird name, but I really enjoy it because he goes out there, finds words from other cultures and tries to describe them in uh, layman's terms or uh, in English, especially since he's a native English speaker. Um, and one of those words is sonder, S-O-N-D-E-R. And it's basically this idea of a realization that everyone is living a very detailed and vivid life just as your own. Basically saying, like, pretend you're this other person. Like, this other person, you could be the background character. Like you said, you're not the main character, and everyone has insurpassable worth. Um, The driving incident, um, they cut you off. Um, Maybe they didn't even view it that way to themselves, Maybe they were just, you know, mm-hmm. merging over. Yep. So, like, just thinking about it that way and how language can give us words to describe experiences mm-hmm. is so amazing. Um, so, yeah, it just made me think of that. Um, mm-hmm. Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows, if anyone. I'll have to check that out. It's very um, <laughs> interesting. Another one um, he uses is Yu Yi. I think it comes from um, Chinese. I don't remember for sure, so don't quote me on this. Mm-hmm. But Yu Yi is... Um, Basically, the longing to live 
life intensely again, like with a fresh pair uh, of eyes. Uh-huh. So like that first time you took French mm-hmm. and how you felt and it just like made you feel a certain way, mm-hmm. like just to live those experiences out. And I think it's such a great word that we don't necessarily have in English that we can incorporate this feeling that we have or this longing to be like, the sky isn't as blue as I remember. So I want that longing to experience the sky being blue as I remember. Mm. So anyway, that was a tangent. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, so my next question is, can we apply what we know about our relationships with others to help us ourselves understand God's relationship with us? It seems to me that, uh, you know, God uses our relationships to relate to us. You know, he works through our friends and families to to express his love toward us. Um, so that's how I view God using our using relationships to for, uh, better our relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Are there any, like, closing statements that, like, pop out to you from this discussion before um, we carry on? Um, no, I mean, I guess, you know, to me that, looking at language and culture, I just would go back to the whole idea of seeing everything and everyone through the lens of the cross, you know. You know, if we are deliberate about seeing every person, regardless of their language or culture, as having unsurpassable worth because of the cross, you know, that's that's a game changer mm-hmm. uh, in how we view underst- and understand life. And that that's what moves us from judging others to blessing others. And from seeing others as inferior to ourselves or being from an inferior culture to being equal to us mm-hmm. in the eyes of God. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Especially in America where we're nicknamed the melting pot. Mm-hmm. We have so many cultural influences. Mm-hmm. Um, and being a superpower, we you know have to be aware of other cultural, the cultural things that are going on. Right. to understand how our relationship with other countries is going to be affected. Um, so, yeah. Is there anything fun that you want to say in French so that our listeners can know that you're very good at French? Que voulez-vous que je dise? Je ne sais pas. Oh, what does that mean? It means what do you want me to say? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yeah. well... Well, thank you for coming on the show and um, giving us a look into how speaking two different languages can help us understand culture, understand language, and the relationships that we have with others in different cultures or with ourselves, the way we talk, and with God. So um, it was Mark Norlander with me today, and he is a wonderful professor. If you ever get the chance to take French class with them, it's very fun. He doesn't keep you bored, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. Thanks for having me. Yes. Uh, as the French say, uh, au revoir. Au revoir. <laughs>